We're studying in Isaiah. Let's open our Bibles to the 34th chapter, if you will. And we want to take the 34th and 35th chapter of Isaiah together because one without the other would leave us halfway through the uh, thought that needs to be put over. Isaiah chapter 34 and chapter 35. Now then, we gave you in our Wednesday night service a title for chapter 32, 33, 34, and 35. And I think it's very important we remember those four things. Chapter 32, a king will reign. In fact, if you look at chapter 32, you'll say, find it says a king will reign in righteousness. And chapter 33, Jerusalem will be delivered. And that was chapter 33 that we dealt with Wednesday night. But now chapter 34 and 35, we have chapter 34, the sin, this sinful world will be judged. And all of chapter 34 that we'll first start with tonight has to do with the sinful world being judged. And then chapter 35 has to be the glorious kingdom will be established. So we cannot leave you hanging halfway through this. We have to go on to chapter 35 because you'll see that it's very important. Now then, let's read chapter 34 and then we'll come back and look at some of the things that are important. Because uh, in this chapter, we may not deal with it exactly verse by verse, because the subject matter is of such we need to approach it in a little different way. But the sinful world will be judged, and it's talking about a time of the future. We might say that this 34th chapter, before we read it, that the first verse has to do with the day of Jehovah. And it's addressed... To, uh, the whole chapter has to do with the day of Jehovah, and it's addressed to the world. Uh, verse 1 is addressed to the world and the Jews and Gentiles alike. And verses 2 through 8 have to do with the shaking of the earth and the heavens. And then verses 9 through 17, the day of vengeance. And this is one of the darkest chapters in the whole Bible, because it speaks merely of judgment, of vengeance, of wrath, and of things that will happen to this earth when the Lord comes back uh, and brings judgment upon this world. Revelation chapter 19 is a good comparative reference. We'll read it now and we'll try to study some of it. I hope that we can get both chapter 34 and 35. Come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear and all that uh, is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. There will be a time that will be true. Militarily. And His fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Isn't this a dark chapter? When God says He's going to fight with all the nations of the world and all their armies. Their slain also shall be cast out. And their stink shall come up out of their carcasses. And the mountains shall be melted uh, with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. We have a reference to that in Revelation 6, verse 14. And all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth from off the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall be, it shall come down upon Adumel. Actually, that is another word for Edom. And upon all the people, upon the people of my curse, to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness, and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. That's uh, Edom again. These two verses have to do with that. 
In verse 7, And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust shall be made fat with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance. Again, we have that. And the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. You know, the controversy of Zion today still goes on, but God is going to settle it one day. And it's a vengeance because of that controversy that exists even today. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone. And the land thereof shall be become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormat and the bittern, or the hedgehog or porcupine, as it actually meant by the bittern, shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there. And all her princes shall be nothing. And thorns shall come up in her palaces. Imagine thorns growing in the palaces. And nettles and brambles in the fortress, fortresses thereof. And it shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island. And the satyr, these are the hairy ones, possibly a goat or of some sort, shall cry to his fellow, and the screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There shall be... There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall, there shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord. By the way, I like this. And read, no one of these things shall fail. In other words, the certainty of this prophecy is going to come to pass. Look at what it says here in verse 16. That's a very important verse. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read... No one of these things shall fail. Of these shall fail. None shall want her mate, for my youth, my mouth hath commanded it, and his spirit is, it hath gathered them. And he hath cast a lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation shall they dwell there, therein. Now that is a sad and a dark chapter, isn't it? We want to try to give you a gist of the meaning of it. And as I said tonight, we may not take it verse by verse. We may refer to verses. But in verses 5 and 6, Israel's ancient enemy, Edom, is singled out. In verse 5 and 6. But this divine judgment will come upon the whole world. Because Edom is only an example of God's judgment on Gentile nations because of what they had done to His people Israel in the Old Testament. The Lord has a day of vengeance. And it's spoken of in verse 8. In the day of the Lord, the Gentiles will be repaid for what, the way they treated the Jews and exploited their land. There's coming a time that they will be replay, repaid. And if we had time to read, we don't have time to read uh, in Joel chapter 3. If you want these references, I'm not going to turn to them and read because I'd like to refer to the next chapter and, and show you and bring you out of this dark picture into the glories of what will be ours. But Joel 3, verses 1 through 17. And Zion's cause may not get much support among the nations today, but God will come to their defense in the future and uh, make their cause succeed. You know, you don't have anyone really pulling for uh, God's people today. In fact, they're in the midst of controversy, and Israel especially. 
as well as the church in the world today. But Israel, uh, Isaiah begins with a military picture of the armies of, on the earth in verses 2 and 3. Remember it says that the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and His fury is upon their armies. So it will be a military endeavor. And uh, he begins with his military pictures of the armies on the earth. And he's going to come. It's significant of the army of uh, Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon, I should say. The enemies of God, the enemy armies on the earth will be slaughtered. The land will be drenched with blood. We read that. And the bodies of the slain will be left unburied to rot and to smell. It says the stench of them will reach up shall come up out of their carcasses. That's verse 3. And the bodies of the slain, as they are left there unburied, shows us a a vivid description of the battle of Armageddon when you read in Revelation chapter 19 when the Lord comes back, He's going to call all the fowls of heaven to feast upon the carcasses of the slain of the armies that uh, He will come and fight with. And this humiliating defeat and destruction of these armies of the world that dare to attack Jesus or the Son of God. And the host of heaven will be affected as well by vast disturbances. And it says that in verse 4, All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, referred to in Revelation chapter 6 as well. So these things are all going to happen. And we want to go ahead and paint this sad picture that, that Isaiah paints in order to bring about the good things that are going to happen in the 35th chapter. Because we said this chapter has to do with a sinful world being judged. And it has to do with uh, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 14. Most of us are familiar enough with Revelation 19 when the Lord comes back from glory to bring judgment upon this earth. But there are many more passages in the book of Revelation that show us exactly that too. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 shows us Uh, I will read a verse or two there. It says in verse uh, 13 of Revelation 6, And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men And every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? And so we find that that, uh, this is what's going to take place. The judgment of God is going to fall and that will be a day that... uh, Jesus refers to also in the book of Matthew chapter 24. And in this 35th chapter, verses 5 through 8, the prophet moves to the battlefield, uh, from the battlefield to the temple, and sees sees this worldwide judgment as a great sacrifice that God offers. Now, if you'll notice, verse uh, uh, 6 says, "...the sword of the Lord is filled with blood." It is fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edoma. What's he saying? He's saying just as in the Old Testament sacrifices were offered to God, God says, now I'm going to offer a sacrifice. And this is going to be my sacrifice that I will uh, spread. And these are going to be the sacrifices. And this sword that he brings will 
bring the slain to be offered as sacrifices. Himself, he will offer the sacrifices. And he turns from the battlefield to the temple worship and shows us that. The practice was for the people to kill sacrifices and offer them to God. But now, it's God who offers the wicked as sacrifices. And uh, Basra was an important city in Eden. It means the time... Uh, the name means the grape gathering. He's going to gra- gather the grapes of his wrath in judgment. And uh, remember in Revelation it says, put forth the sickle and reap the, the harvest of the earth. And uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 8 shows us that. God sees his enemies as animals, as rams and goats and lambs and oxen and bulls, and they're all sacrificed along with the fat, as was done under the law in the Old Testament sacrifices. These nations that God will offer sacrifices, they had sacrificed the Jews. Look how many times the Jews have been sacrificed. So God uses them for sacrifices. You know, people don't get away with anything. We think that the great slaughter of the Jews during World War II is all in the past, but it's not. Because God is going to bring that to Fruition, when he brings judgment upon all those that have sacrificed his people, he's going to say all nations that have persecuted my people, they're going to reap their harvest then. The picture changes again, and Isaiah compares the day of the Lord to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall come into, uh, come, uh, become burning pitch. So he turns it, and it says in uh, verse 10, It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. So he compares that judgment to uh, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you go back and study in Genesis 18 and verse, chapters 18 and 19. And this is a significant comparison for Isaiah to use because... Just before the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that society will be as of the days of Lot. Remember that Jesus speaks of the days of Lot. In Luke 17, verse 28, he says, Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, and they planted, and they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So, uh, there's a day in the future that is going to be kin to or likened to that day. And uh, this tar running like streams of, and sulfur like dust will keep the fires of judgment burning. How many of you saw on television just yesterday or day before where they had all those tires burning out there in a certain area? I believe it was in California. I think it was. I'm not sure. But they had big sections of tires and someone had set fire to them. And the smoke was so terrible that uh, they said that some of the people were going to have to leave for uh, a ways. I didn't get the whole story, but uh, it was just a terrible black smoke. And there were big, huge piles of tires about the size, at least, of this building in various sections all over. And so that smoke is going to come up. And there will be the tar will be running like streams and sulfur like dust, and keep these fires of judgment of God burning upon uh, the earth at that time. The description 
in Isaiah 34 verse 10 reminds us of the fall of Babylon in Revelation chapter 14. You can read this same story. And we should all remember that the fires of eternal hell, the lake of fire, will never be quenched either. While Isaiah focuses especially on Edom, he's using that proud nation. We said in verse uh, 5 and 6, he focused upon Edom. But he uses that nation as an example of what God will do to all the Gentile nations during that day of the Lord when he brings this day of judgment. And when God finishes his work, the land will be a wilderness occupied only by bramble and thorns and wild beasts and singular birds. God will see to it that each bird will have a mate will have a mate to reproduce and no humans will be around to drive them from their nests. We read that in the context. But the day of the Lord will come, Peter says, as a thief in the night. And so why is God waiting now? Why is God waiting for that day to come? And why is there this day and age of grace? Because the Bible says also that God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If there's ever a day and hour and a time that you and I should be, <clears throat> as Brother Randy and Brother Burden both have said, is giving out the message of salvation and preaching the Word and being faithful in God's service, it is now, isn't it? Because now is the time. And it's because God is long-suffering. But how much longer God will wait, nobody knows. So it behooves us to, to uh, uh, preach to lost sinners, and it behooves lost sinners to repent today and trust the Savior. Now, I want to give you the 35th chapter quickly. We don't have much time, but I'd hate to leave that hanging there with, uh, this, with just this in view. The glorious kingdom will be established. Now, we read... Nothing of good in this chapter as far as pleasantness, as far as grace, as far as mercy, as far as uh, God's uh, long-suffering. We read strictly of judgment in the day of vengeance. But when you turn to the next chapter, I want you to see the contrast of what it's talking about. When God's kingdom, after that terrible judgment will come, when God's kingdom will be uh, established and when things will change. The glorious kingdom of God will be established. It says in verse 1, The wilderness and the solitary place, look, shall be glad for them, and the desert shall re- what? rejoice and blossom as the rose. My, what a contrast to burning judgment, fire, and brimstone, and blood, and death, and All of this that happens in the uh, 34th chapter. What a contrast. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. We'll read all this and come back and do exactly what we did in this uh, previous chapter. There are only ten verses in this one. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon. Remember we spoke of Lebanon with the cedar, uh, lofty uh, cedars of Lebanon. In our Wednesday night service. And it says, Shall be given unto it the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God will, with a recompense, He will repay. 
So that's what just happened in the previous chapter. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Out of all the turmoil and out of all the tribulation and out of all that takes place in Revelation chapter 19, when He comes back in judgment, He comes back not only to bring the judgment, but He comes back to save. And then the millennial kingdom, you read Revelation chapter 20, you'll find that the great, the millennial kingdom of peace and righteousness of which Isaiah has already predicted in the second chapter and in the eleventh chapter will be uh, then upon this earth. You know, God's not through with this earth. A lot of people think that God's through with this earth. He's not through with this earth. He's just going to make some modifications. He's going to cleanse it. He's going to uh, reestablish uh, truth and righteousness and judgment. And He's going to rule and to reign. And His people are going to reign with Him. And there's going to be the eternal blessings and glory when His eternal kingdom is set up. There's a lot of things we don't understand about it, but there's some things that we do. Uh, Verse 4, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. That means He's going to repay. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Look at the blessings. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap as an heart, a deer leaping through the forest. Ever seen those deer leap across those mountains? Looks like they go 30 or 40 feet. I don't know how far it is, but they, I mean, they go, don't they? And what the lame man shall leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Brother Nichols was talking before the service, we was going to have him to sing, and he said, Well, not now, but when I get to heaven, I'll do the same. <laughs> you know, I'm like you, Brother Nichols. Not now, but in the future. And who is it? The tongue of the dumb even shall sing. We're not quite that dumb, and we're not, we are able to speak, but even those that cannot speak, when it talks about the, the dumb, it means the ones that are unable to speak. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. I'm not sure it's just talking about the physical streams and waters in the wilderness, but it's talking about spiritual blessings as well. We know that there will be literal waters that will break out in the wilderness and in the de- streams in the desert. But there will also be the streams of God's blessings that will be poured out upon us. And it says, And the parched ground shall become a pool. Remember the desert and the wilderness and the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. This is what God is going to do. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be uh, grass with reeds and rushes. Look at that. Isn't that a wonderful uh, scene? And a an highway shall be there. I want to get into that highway in just a moment. And please bear with me for a little while in this message because I would like to finish it. And a an highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. That song that Brother Burden sang earlier will perfectly fit with this one. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. It'll be a way that's so plain that even a fool will be able to enter in. No lion shall be there. The lion, the king of the forest, that one that was is the great uh, destructor and destroyer in the jungle. Nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there. I like that word there, where God's blessings are. But the redeemed shall walk what there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs, 
and everlasting joy upon their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So in this chapter, we're talking about restoration glory. Creation will be blessed, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, verses 1 and 2. The spiritual and material blessings of the kingdom will be known in verses 3 through 9, and the return of the ransom of the Lord in verse 10. You know, I don't know if it will do to cap that off. I'll try to. I want to look at it just briefly again with some notes that I have. The wilderness will not remain a wilderness, for the Lord will transform the earth into the garden of, into a garden of Eden. And all of nature eagerly looks for the coming of the Lord. The Bible says the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And they're waiting in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, 19 I should say. For nature knows that it will be free from the curse of sin. Nature itself is under the curse of sin. And it will share the glory of God's kingdom. Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon we mentioned were three of the most fruitful and beautiful places in the land. And yet the desert would become more fruitful and beautiful than these three places all put together. There will be no more parched ground. We read that in verse 7. What will happen to the parched ground? It shall become a pool. Because the, the land will become a garden of glory. Isaiah uses the promises of the coming uh, a kingdom to strengthen those in his day who were weak and afraid. There were people weak and afraid in Isaiah's day. There have been people that are weak and afraid during the days of the apostles in the early church. There are people that are weak and afraid today. But we can use this same scripture to, to bring strength to uh, God's people today. Notice it says... Say to them, verse 4. Well, let's read verse 3 and 4. What are we going to do with the weak? It says, Strengthen ye the weak hands. That's what we should do even today. And confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He's going to set things right. Even God with a recompense, He's going to repay, and He will come and save you. And you know, you can apply that to Isaiah's day. You can apply that to the days of the early church. You can apply that to the church today and to the people of the future and to the tribulation period, the saints during the tribulation period. Because God tells us that this is our encouragement. And He uses this promise to strengthen the weak and the afraid. And into the kingdom there will be no more blind or deaf or lame or dumb. For all will be made whole and to enjoy the uh, uh, glorious new world, the world that the, will be established. You know, you and I today have our, uh, what we we'll call our ailments and our sicknesses and our illnesses. But in that day, all is going to be put away. I would venture to say that tonight, as all of you are sitting here, that, that probably in, in the in the body and in the feeling of each and every one, there's some pain somewhere. I know even as I stand to preach, and many of you know that I have a back problem, and even now I can feel terrible pain in the back, in my back. But God is going to remove all of those things, and we're going to be made whole, completely made whole. And it won't be halfway like some do in this world today. And all will be made whole to enjoy a glorious new world. The prophet wrote about these about spiritual deficiencies, but here he's describing physical handicaps. And uh, our Lord referred to these verses when he sent the word of encouragement to John the Baptist. Remember, John says uh, he sent a commission out a few 
uh, his disciples out and he says, you go and find out if Jesus is the one that is to come or do we look for another? If this man is the one that is to come. You know, I'm always amazed at that story as I read it in various parts of the Gospel. And this one in Luke. Here's John the, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. That said, when he saw Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, and the forerunner of Christ. And he says, He must increase and I must decrease. And he was really looking to Jesus. And he saw the miracles he did, and, and he preached the gospel and was the forerunner of Christ. And Jesus, after John was taken off the scene, preached the same message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But when John was cast in prison, he said, he sent disciples out and he says, you go and, and ask him, is he the one that's to come or do we look for another? Someone says, you know, if you ever doubt, here's a man that recognized Jesus as the Lamb of God. And yet he says, you know, I'm not sure that this is the Christ. He says, is he the one or do we look for someone else? But anyway, the message I wanted to get to in the context here, Jesus told those disciples that came to find out. He says, you go and tell John. Let me read it for you. I believe it's in Luke 7, verse 18. The disciples of John showed him all these things. And John calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, uh, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Verse 21, And in the same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, these two that came for this information, he says, Go your way and tell John, tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached, uh, and the poor, and to the poor, says, the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. He says, You go back and tell John, and he was quoting from these things that happened that uh, Isaiah spoke of that Jesus would be doing. Not only did He do those things when He was upon this earth, but He will be doing them in the future. Isaiah expresses one of His favorite themes, the highway. Remember in verse 8? And a an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. He speaks of the highway. And I must give you this. There are four places in Isaiah that speaks of this highway. In Isaiah 11, verse 6, or maybe I have the wrong verse here. Isaiah 11, verse 16, I should say. Isaiah 11, verse 16 says, And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. A highway. And then in chapter uh, 19, verse 23, let's read three verses. It says, In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. And he says there's going to be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrian, the Iraqis, we'll use that for the location, shall, shall come into Egypt. They don't now. And the Egyptian into Assyria. And the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. And then it says, In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria. They're not third with them now, are they? But they shall be third with Egypt and with Assyria. 
Now look, that's not all that's going to happen. It says, even a blessing in the midst of the land. It says in verse 25, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying... Now listen, here's what God's going to say after it's all said and done. Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. Can you imagine such peace as... You know, they're working hard to bring peace in the Middle East today. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but we mentioned this Wednesday night, and we've mentioned it other times that we taught this Scripture. But look at what's going to actually accomplish when the Lord comes. He's going to bring about that peace, and the Egypt and Assyria and Israel will be all one. There will be three that God will bless. And He's going to call, can you imagine Him calling Egypt His people? Egypt will be called His people. Egypt has always been a picture of the world and always been in opposition to Israel and God's people. And yet, here, they're going to be pictured in a different light. Uh, when, the, when that land, when Egypt, uh, when the Lord smites that land, Egypt will return to Him and be His people. And even those that we think less could ever be converted will be His people, the Assyrians. And the highway will extend and, and go from one place to another. Let me give you two more places, and our time is gone, and I know I don't want to keep you too long, but in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says this. It says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Here's the way again spoken of. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John came, and he, John the Baptist, and he was the forerunner of Christ, and he said, uh, that there's going to be a, a way for the, of the Lord. And then in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 10, it says this, Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up the standard for the people. So there's going to be a cleared way for God's people to go. Well, there are so many passages of Scripture, we won't have time to deal with all of it. But there will be one special highway, and it will be called uh, the way of holiness. And during the kingdom age, it will be safe to travel. It will be cleared out of all the rocks. It says, cast out the stones, make the way clear. Uh, the highway shall be there, and highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. So this is going to be a wonderful way to to uh, travel in those days. In ancient cities, there were often special roads that only the kings and priests could use. But when the Messiah reigns, all of His people will be invited to use the highway that Isaiah pictures here. It's God's redeemed and God's ransomed. And they will be rejoicing, Jewish families, going up to the yearly feast in Jerusalem to praise the Lord. And when Isaiah spoke and wrote these words, it's likely that the Assyrians had... Ravaged the land and destroyed the crops and made highways unsafe for travel. And you know, today it's certainly unsafe because of the things that are going on over there. The people were cooped up in Jerusalem, wondering what would happen next. The remnant was trusting God's promises and praying for God's help. And God answered their prayers. Now then, if God kept His promises for His people Israel centuries ago and delivered them... Will not He keep His promises in the future and establish His glorious kingdom for His chosen people? Of course He's going to do that. And you and I need to understand that the friend of you and I is the future. The future is our friend because it's when Jesus will come 
And He will come and set things right. You know, a lot of people say, well, I fear what's going to happen in the future. I do too, in some ways. But I also am encouraged about what's going to happen in the future because I know that the only answer, the only answer, and the only peace that we'll enjoy is when the Lord comes. The only answer to this sinful world and the only true peace that the world will enjoy. Now, He gave us peace individually and inwardly. Now, and you can have that here and now. But the only true peace for uh, men and nations will be when the Lord comes and establishes kingdom of peace and righteousness upon this earth. Well, thank you for your patience and your kind attention. I kept you a little long, but I wanted you to get both these chapters because they so much go together.